Hey, everybody. Good morning. It's good to see you, too. Good to be here with you. Uh, my name is Ben Los, pastor here at the church, and so glad to be worshiping with you today as a point of personal privilege. Uh, this is my last Sunday for a while. Every five years, uh, the church graciously gives its pastors three months off in uh, for a sabbatical for rest and reflect. Uh, re- yeah, yeah, reflection and study. Uh, after this year, it's a gift that everyone needs, and I wish I could give a sabbatical to the world, but I can't. Uh, so I will take mine with a glad and grateful heart. So thank you for caring for your pastors like that. Um, Today we're going to close out our series on doubt and deconstruction and how not to blow up your faith. And we're going to end with the words of Jesus, which seem appropriate. And so we're going to turn to the book of Matthew. That's right, Matthew. And we're going to be in chapter 7, reading verses 7 through 27, and I think it is appropriate to end our study with the the words and teachings of Jesus, because Jesus is the one with whom we ultimately grapple. He is the one who holds the answers to the questions um, that we have. He is the one we ultimately seek. So it's right that we look to his words for wisdom and guidance. This is the word of the Lord. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asked for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who seek him? So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide And the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. 
Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise person who builds their house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish person who builds their house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell, and great was the fall of it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Great Father in heaven, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. Jesus here is closing out his magnum opus, his most systematic statement of what it means to follow him. Uh, The Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 to 7 is the A to Z of the the Jesus-centered life, of what it looks to walk the, the Jesus way. And how does he conclude? He concludes by saying, ask. And it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. It's just interesting to me that he assumes that following him and putting his teaching into practice will produce questions and quandaries. It will pose puzzles and cause problems. And he, at the end of his teaching, welcomes these questions. And so he says, be asking. But then he says, be seeking. Just framing the question apparently isn't enough. He asks us to be in an active pursuit of an answer to be seeking it. And the words here um, are, are present and progressive. It's be seeking it. Be habitually seeking me. Uh, it reminds me of how in the, uh, the second chapter of the book of Proverbs, Proverbs describes the attitude that someone needs to have to know God and to find wisdom and knowledge of him. And it's pretty daunting when you read it, actually, he, it, it says that you need to seek after God like you're seeking after hidden treasure. And I think about the, the zeal with which people pursue hidden treasures. I think about the curse of Oak Island. You know Oak Island? For You don't know. Gabe, I'll tell you about Oak Island at some point. A little island where, I don't know, people think all kinds of things are hidden there. Maybe the Ark of the Covenant, maybe old pirate treasure, I don't know. 
like maybe the one ring to rule them all, whatever it is. But people are like, people have spent so much money, people have lost their lives just searching for this hidden treasure. And uh, that's supposed to be how we seek after the Lord. To seek it powerfully, to take it seriously. It's an active idea. You don't sit back and have it brought to you. You look for it. And the glorious thing about the search is that it ends in a door. And so not with a, an answer, but with a person. Like at a house, a knocking on a door. And the idea is that the door would be open and that Jesus would be the one who opens the door. And who invites you in to spend time with him. Uh, That there's someone who told you to seek and to knock. And they're on the other side of their door. uh, uh, And they're eager to, to show you hospitality. And to invite you in. That what we're searching for with our questions isn't ultimately um, answers to theological quandaries. We're not searching for Christianity. We are searching for Christ. For the person and the presence of Jesus. And that is something he is eager to give us. Look at verse 8. He says, For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Sometimes we can read this promise as if it's a carte blanche promise about prayer. And then we're discouraged and sad. Because that hasn't happened to us. But that's not the context here. Jesus has already talked about prayer in general earlier on in the sermon. Here he's closing out the Sermon on the Mount... And the context is what it looks like to seek and follow Him. To want to be on His way of life, but to have questions about it. And the promise is anyone who is truly seeking to follow Me. That is a desire of the heart. Questions related to that will always receive an answer. And the answer will always be Me. If you're seeking it. And the illustration that he gives is really helpful to me. It's the picture of a good parent who wants to give good gifts to kids. And I'm a parent. I don't know if I'm a good one. I'm certainly an imperfect one. But on my best days, I'm an okay dad. And I know this, that if my son were ever hesitant to ask me anything in the world, if he was really wrestling with something, Especially the big things of life. If he was wrestling with his identity or had questions about sexuality or the meaning of life, how sad I would be if I didn't get to be one of the dialogue partners with him. I just, so I try to combat him when he won't ask me for stuff by saying, Man, buddy, you can ask me for anything. I always want to hear from you and know what you need. And I'm going to do my best to try to to give you what you need. And then some. That doesn't mean I answer every one of his immediate requests because some of them are bonkers. 
and impossible. And for and, and some things he's not ready for the answer yet. Um, but what's important for him is to know that his dad loves him and wants to enter into those things with him, wants to listen to him. And my general disposition to him is to want to love and to provide. And Jesus says, man, if, if, if human fathers who are evil want to do that to their kids, how much more the perfect love of a heavenly father. Isn't that wonderful? Here are the implications to this. One, if Jesus invited questions, so should we. We've talked about that a lot. I won't linger there. But asking isn't enough. You've got to search. You've got to seek it out. You've got to, 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 to put in the work. But notice that the work isn't finding the right book or the right blog or the right answer or podcast. The, the search ends in being invited into the presence of Christ again. Maybe we could put it like this. Sometimes God is the last person we go to when we have a question about God. And uh, we somehow have it in our minds that we need to get the answer to our question before we put our relationship with God on pause and then go to search out the answer before we return to the Lord. But... But in our doubt and struggle is precisely when we need the presence of God the most, isn't it? There's this strange temptation, I feel like, in doubt towards self-sufficiency and towards isolation. The irony is we carry around these heavy bundles of wishes and questions that never become asking. And we talk to everyone Accept God about it. We talk to our, ourselves. We talk to our friends. We talk to the internet. We might talk to another Christian and maybe even a pastor. But we are reluctant to talk to God. Me too. And it is his presence that we need. I had a seminary professor, John Frame, one of the most brilliant men I ever met and he would talk about two kinds of rest when we have questions intellectual rest and existential rest and by intellectual rest he meant that you get you know the problem solved the answer given to the question that you have you puzzle it out you can have intellectual rest but not have existential rest. You can think you know everything about how the world works and be really anxious and sad and empty and hollowed out inside. But you cannot have intellectual rest. You can have a lot of questions about life. And you can live in the tension of things, but if you have existential rest, the sense of the presence of God and His goodness and His love, that's what really matters.
There is existential rest that can be found in knowing the presence of the Lord. And here is Jesus, the one who perfectly reveals the Father to us with his arms of faith uh, as wide open as he can make them, saying, come in to the house and find a fruitful audience with your heavenly Father. Be asking, be seeking, be knocking. The door is open wide. Isn't that wonderful? So that's the first picture we get, the wide open door. But then in the very next passage, it seems like he kind of takes it away. Look at this. The wide open door, but then we get a little confused because in verse 13, the image changes from the open door to the narrow gate. You see that? Did you notice that? He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So this is a different image, though it's one that's familiar to us. The metaphor is of life as a journey, and you come to a fork in the road, and before you are two different paths. On the one side of the road is a great, glamorous, and accommodating gate. There are a lot of people on the path. The way and terrain is wide and flat. You look down the the broad way and the grass is green and the skies are blue and there are animated birds flying around singing Disney songs. And on the gate there is a homely wooden sign affixed to the outer path, nailed there with a single word, destruction. And then there is the second road, unlike the first, with a tiny, dangerous-looking gate. The path is tight. There's very, it looks like it's not been walked very often before. There's overgrown branches and thistles aligning both sides. It's dark and frightening. It looks like Mordor over there. Lightning crashes and volcanoes exploding. Um, and beside it, not like, uh, unlike the first in appearance, a sign, and it says one word life. And Jesus says, The call to follow me is the call to take the second road and to follow by, uh, follow into the, the small gate. Jesus uses three words here to describe what it means to follow him. He says it is narrow, hard, and lonely. Which would be a total bummer (laughs) if that were the only things that Jesus ever said it was like to to follow him. But it's not. Um, Interestingly, Jesus later on in this same gospel, we'll use the word many to describe the number of people who will enter and find the kingdom. So he says, even as I say to you, 
Many will come from the east and the west and will take their seat at the feast of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Many will come from the east and the west. That sounds broad and full, not narrow and few. And then again, later on, he says that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to uh, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And again, at the Last Supper, he says, this is the blood of a new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Or remember that wonderful invitation of Jesus to come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Do you remember what it says next? For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So which one is it? Hard or easy, broad or narrow, few or many. Yes. What's obvious is that Jesus isn't offering literal measurements with these words. He's not talking about how many people are in heaven. He's creating differing emphases based on the context. Here, it's many that go to destruction. Other places, it's many that live. Here, it's the narrow road. Here, it's hard. But elsewhere, it's broad. And the burden is light. And here is what I think Jesus is getting at. To choose the Jesus way, the narrow gate, is more counterintuitive at first. And certainly on appearances alone. To walk the narrow road is more difficult in the short term. But in the end, it leads you to vistas and wonders of abundant life that you would have never gotten to going the broad way. And we all know what this is like, right? I'm sure we all have some temptation in our life that we, we are tempted to it all the time. And we know that to give in gives us pleasure for a moment. But in the long run, it is so painful. And we know how hard it is to deny that temptation in the moment. But how much joy is received in the long run when we do. Am I the only one who knows this? In my life? Following Jesus doesn't feel like life at first. Because he calls us to do wacky things. Like deny ourselves. And pick up our cross. And follow him. The path to life starts with starving fleshy parts of us. It starts with doing things that don't come naturally to us. It involves suffering and sacrifice for the sake of God and for the sake of others. It is the way of the cross. It is the unique thing that Jesus adds 
to the world. All that to say, following Jesus is not easy. It is not always comfortable or safe all the time, and it will not always make you popular. You cannot always follow the crowd. There are times when following Jesus is more in vogue than others, and currently it is not in vogue. And there's a couple of factors that make following Jesus even more difficult. I haven't followed Jesus for as many years as some of you, but I can say in my short time of seeking to put one step in front of the other, following my Savior, it has never been harder than it is now. And there's a couple of factors that lead into that. And most of them are ideological and cultural. On the one side of the ideological and political spectrum on the right, you have had the rise of, uh, of certain alt-right Christian nationalist groups who have very little to do with the way of Jesus, but use his name and his symbols all the time. And so we have been, we have seen such strange sights in the last year, like the QAnon sh- shaman praying to the Christian God in the Capitol after the Capitol riots. Men and women using Christian symbols and language to support things that are blatantly unchristian. And they catch the headlines. And here's the thing they embarrass us and the gospel. They make it harder for us to show how following Jesus is actually different from the world. It makes us not want to go to church. It makes us feel like we're guilty by association. Like if that's what a Christian is, I don't know. I'm out. And then there's the other side of the aisle. And the Bible's consistent tendency to fall short of modern progressive ideology. Which shouldn't be a surprise to us because modern progressive ideology can't adhere always to modern progressive ideology. Creating what Barack Obama recently described as the progressive circular firing squad. And so we find ourselves in a scramble to tick all the progressive boxes amidst a culture of virtue signaling and cancel culture and the inevitable contradictions in outrage culture and groupthink. And it makes one think that one can never be progressive enough and that we can't keep it up and we're kind of worried about what happens if we don't. And you put those things together and you get a hard season to follow Jesus. On the one side, wolves in sheep clothing and we don't want to be seen as wolves. And on the other side, people telling us that faith in Jesus is becoming increasingly untenable. And our access to social media makes it seem like more people bail than hang around. Like a lot of stuff we believe would incense the thought police. And all of it to us feels like it's unprecedented. Like it's happening to us for the first time. And there is anxiousness and and unrest in the air. We don't know how long we can keep it up. 
And we wonder if this is something new. But the problem isn't new. It's ancient. Jesus here is talking about it with his very first disciples. There's always been wolves in sheep's clothing. There have always been people who choose to follow the wide, broad road. With a wide enough lens, it will always seem like the world has gone nuts, that people are abandoning Jesus in droves, and that opposition to Jesus is at an all-time high. But this has been happening since Jesus was walking around and gathering disciples. The fact is, there are certain things that Jesus says that sound good to people. Caring for the poor and the marginalized sounds great, unless you are rich and you have a lot to to lose in the process. Something like the sex ethic of Jesus is never going to sound popular in any kind of Western progressive culture. Things like nonviolence and enemy love with the current socio-political climate and vitriol sound awful to both the right and the left. No one wants to love and bless their enemies. The teachings of Jesus will sometimes seem like the world is open to them, and other times will seem like everyone is against them. But note this. Even as Jesus is instituting his kingdom movement, he says that following him has always been about rejecting the status quo. It has always been about defying the crowds. It has always been about creating an alternative to the world because doesn't the world need an alternative? An upside-down kingdom of love where God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven? All that to say... We are not a progressive church. And we are not a conservative church in what that has come to mean. On our best days, we do not align ourselves with the right or the left. We are striving to be a narrow way church. A Jesus church. And in all honesty, that will put us at odds with both sides, and that feels lonely. I'll just be honest. I'm insecure right now. I'm doing a series on doubt. And so I say I want your questions, but part of me really doesn't. Because I'm afraid if you begin to ask them, I'm like, is there going to be anybody left? Do I trust God enough? Is everybody going to leave? I'm being told by the world that in 50 years from now, my kids will think everything that I believe is crazy. 50 years from now, we're all going to be alone. I'm being told as someone who believes in the Bible that I'm going to be on the wrong side of some imaginary moment in history when everything is judged by someone other than Jesus. I say all this because I wonder if what we are experiencing as doubt is really shame. I 
remember a time when it was just weird to follow Jesus. But now it seems like it's becoming dangerous. Like you are the oppressor or repressor or whatever. And that shift in culture is not persecution. We are fine. But there is an emotional stigma and shame. Like, have you ever felt embarrassed by it? But by trying to be faithful to Jesus and what Christians have believed for thousands of years on every continent. Like, I'm creating harm. And it makes me feel so alone. But I need to learn that that aloneness is God's invitation to me to be asking and to be seeking and to be knocking and to have the door opened and in the presence of Jesus to realize again that if I was really alone on this planet with only Jesus there to comfort me, I would be just fine. When it's hard... He promises himself. Martin Luther, when writing a sermon on this passage, wrote this. He says, to be, on the, to be on the hard road is to never be alone. This is what he says. Christ himself and the whole heavenly host are at my side and have traveled this very same way preceding me to heaven in a long and beautiful procession until on the last day all Christendom will be traveling the same road. It is called a hard way and a narrow gate, but Christ calls out, cling to me and I will make it nice for you, pleasant and easy giving you enough strength to travel the road with peace. The road is hard, and it is worth it, because he is with us. Amen? Let me pray.